Welcome back, everybody, to the Real Weirdos Podcast, and we hope you're doing okay today. I'm Jesse, along with my co-hosts, Alex and Jeff, and we are the Real Weirdos, two and a half white men with English degrees who talk about movies for way too goddamn long. Today, we're talking about Y Tu Mama Tambien from 2001 by director Alfonso Cuaron. But first, a point of order, an RIP to Gilbert Gottfried. Oh, <sighs> the legend. Great. Yeah, Jeff, you're you're a big comedy guy, so this probably hit you harder than, than I was. Alex. I'm genuinely bummed. Like this, this is pretty gutting. Like, I mean, the comedy has been taking a lot of hits recently with Bob Saget, Louis Anderson, now Gilbert Gottfried. There's actually a photo now with like all three of them sitting next to each other. It's just so heart wrenching. But yeah, this mm, is nice. Should get that one for your studio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah Print it sure. out, get it framed. Yeah, that's just uh, yeah, that was pretty gutting. And you know, some kind of muscular disease, I guess you were saying, Jesse. Yeah, I don't remember mitocar- uh, mitocarditis. Was that it, Alex? Uh, no, I think myocarditis. Oh, sounds like a heart thing. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This was like a degenerative muscular disease, but yeah, he okay. had like the type one of it, which is still terrible. But like, I guess it's just. You can live a little longer and like you don't need as much assistance so maybe that's why it was like less apparent and less evident that yeah. he was sick he had mystonic dystrophy type 2 yeah okay. so, or myonic i'm sorry My- myotonic yeah i have no idea myotonic dystrophy type 2 so type 1 was apparently the the really awful one but i'm sure type 2 is no walk in the park either you know yeah these these geniuses like robin williams now gilbert godfrey they get hit with these horrible either neurodegenerative now bruce willis as well with his aphasia these horrible neurodegenerative disorders or macular degenerative disorders and it's just sucks sucks to watch brilliant people to go down those routes so sucks to open on a such a sad note but uh yeah but he's part of the film world kind of tangentially he's in some stuff um but i don't know he's just a cool guy we wanted to give him a give him a nice little r.i.p gonna be sorely missed and with that out of the way let's talk about mexican sex (laughs) (laughs) so um before we get into that exploring that grunt uh alex this was your choice so tell us all about itumama tambien yeah so this movie is like an all-time favorite movie for me not because just because of like the emotional connection i had to it when i first saw it but also because I don't know. I just love the filmmaking. I love like the narrative style of it. I loved like the uh, it's like called third person present future tense where it's like you describe things that will happen in the future. But in past tense, it's a very like magical realism and like Latin literature type of technique. So it was one of the first movies I saw that like used that technique and Cuaron and Iñárritu, who's like another Mexican director who I think did like Babel and some other fucking movies. He did Birdman. Yeah, most recently The Revenant. Okay, yeah, so they were winning Oscars, these two guys. From like a, a few years in a row, it was like Cuaron and fucking Iñárritu and Del Toro were winning all these Oscars. Yeah, don't they call them the, the Three Amigos, right? Yeah. Yeah, the big Mexican Penn, filmmakers. 
Yeah, he like made a quip at the Oscars after they won it for like the third time. And he goes, man, who keeps giving these people their green cards? Because he's like oh. friends with them, I guess. <laughs> no, it was a it was a blunder for nice. sure. Like, like people were like, "Fuck you, Sean Penn." It was like this whole thing. I get it in the sense that, like, like, like that's the kind of shit you say to your buddies. But oof, at the Oscars, yeah, that's a yeah, big oof, Sean Penn. Can be easily misconstrued. You gotta keep your racist humor in your circles, right? I know it was it was pretty brutal. So. That, honestly, that little, like, moment from Sean Penn and then going back and watching their films really drew me to Quaron and then this film eventually. However, I have to say, going through his filmography, he's done some real, like, there's some movies he's made that I fucking hate. That I really? think are really bad. Yeah, like, I hated Gravity. Oh, you hated Gravity? Wow. Oh, interesting. I mean, it's not great. It's not a great sci-fi movie at all, but to hate it is yeah. very strong. So, I don't know. He did Harry Potter, right? He did the third. He did Jesse's favorite Harry Potter. Yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll just get into Quaron for a little while here before we do the the movie itself. But yeah, so I've seen. Uh, I like Gravity a great deal, actually. I think it has problems. It has some stupid moments, but it's it's a really fun movie, and I love I love that sort of space the uh, space disaster kind of stuff. Children mm-hmm. of Men is in the history books. It's taught in every film class from here till the end of eternity. It's it is a masterpiece. an absolute masterpiece of yeah. filmmaking and everything. <clears throat> Maybe one of the most perfect movies ever made, and just a cinema cinematographically cinematographically cinematographically. Phallically? <laughs> we no, all this movie. went to school for talking in this um, language. Anyway, the cinematography in that movie is like some of the most brilliant you will ever see. It's yeah. it's it's every time you watch it, it's just fascinating and phenomenal. And again, Michael Caine farting. So you know, it's something for everybody. Um, yeah. yeah. But Shall he also cough? did make. My favorite Harry Potter movie, the one that made me never watch any of the other ones after, <laughs> where it had the dumbest ending of that I might have ever seen at the time, where it's just like the freeze frame. I think I talked about it before on this show, but nobody yeah, remembers, have. so whatever. Um, where it's like he gets a he gets a broom, but the bad guy gets away, and he's just like, "I got a broom," and you're like, "Great, cool, Harry," and has that freeze frame of him like, "Ah." going up into the sky and I'm like what the fuck did I just watch you know it's ironic because Quaron brought like the darker tone and darker like color palette to the Harry Potter like series oh for sure other directors after like mimicked that but before it was like it was just like this Christmassy like jangly fucking (laughs) see it's funny because the third one's my favorite uh, of the Harry Potter movies because that that one yeah it's the same one okay Uh, because it was the Harry Potter movie that like we all because I grew up with the books so I kind of always felt attached to these characters at these particular moments of their life when the books were coming out so like his movie like it got that kind of broody like teenage angstiness like it really nailed it and it was much darker and had much more like themes of death and it was just I loved it I was like they, they introduced the Death Eaters for the first time uh, I think he crushed that movie it's probably the best one See, I the last time I saw it was when it came out in 2004. I was like 16. So 
And I, I do plan to watch these films, especially because both of you guys who are on such polar opposite ends of the spectrum a lot of the time <laughs> in cinema, as will be evidenced in this episode, if not anything else. Um, you guys both, you know, espouse these films, and so do a lot of people, so I will watch them, and I will, I'm sure, have a different reaction and in, you know, 2022 than I did in 2004. So, I'll, I'll report back. I'll give you a book <laughs> report. Maybe we'll just yeah. do a recap. Yeah. Someday. Maybe not today. With Coron, at least, I feel like as his career has progressed, he's gotten less auteur of a filmmaker. A little more just like, I don't want to say blockbuster or like Hollywood, Gravity is the only one that's like that, really. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Yeah, that's his like most Hollywood movie. Really? Yeah. That makes sure. sense. That makes sense why I didn't like that one as much then. But I mean, the this one, Itu Mama Tanvien, I feel like is so I don't know. It's just so imprinted with like his style, and like you can feel that auteur, like young director trying to like kind of break through. And yeah, it's always just had a special like place in my heart for me. It is, on its surface, kind of just like a basic coming-of-age story. But for some reason, the elements that it included, like, and the way that it went about it, always spoke to me a lot louder than some other ones. Yeah, I have many thoughts about this film, but I I do want to hear Jeff Casino's broad thoughts here before I jump in. Um, No, um, I thought this movie was really cute and lovable. And that's kind of a big reason why I didn't like it inherently is I just thought it it kind of came off to me as a very straightforward uh, romance movie, a romance drama, something that I would see on like TV. Like it had like a a more enlightened version of a Lifetime film. When I read the description, I almost thought like, what is this, a Lifetime movie? But so, but it obviously is written and directed by somebody who's incredibly talented. Like, well, like that's... The, it, it stinks of that type of creativity and dedication and love and, you know, something that he's very familiar with, which is this setting of Mexico and this specific time period and, like, being a young boy in Mexico. I like the relationship between the two main characters to a degree. I do think that and at times they, their their pettiness becomes really unlikable. Especially the times when they're like, I slept with your girlfriend. I slept with your girlfriend. It was like, ugh. But like, I I totally understand why this movie is loved and appreciated. I get it. But for me, I'm just not a big fan of like gratuitous sex scenes in which this movie is rife with. You didn't like the scene where the two guys are on the diving boards masturbating with each other into yeah, the pool. Yeah, not not my favorite. And it's like that's and like that's the thing is it has nothing to do with like any kind of gay straight thing. Like there's not. It's just I personally don't like. I don't find that I find sex to be a biological process. I'm very like android. I don't. know, I guess android. Like I don't. People always think it's weird, but I just I find it to be like eating or shitting or pissing. It's just part of that. <laughs> criteria of things you need in your life and so i don't get the big fuss around it so i don't understand why we need to make like two hour long films of gratuitous sexual energy that becomes so taxing mm, it's so and endemically human though man and it, a lot so most people are not shitting. most people are not you in terms of sexuality you know see and that's just unfair to say because i think a lot of people are like me and we're seeing that more and more nowadays is like people kind of have, don't have this like 
tangible relationship with sex as was once thought. Okay, like, maybe I should modify that. I I think what I meant was not to like denigrate you or anything. I'm just saying like what's represented in this film is like a very basic function for a lot of humans, you know, and it's a basic drive, especially for like machismo young men. Like holy shit, man. Like that is it's like everything. And I get that, but that that has always been a repugnant thing to me my whole life growing up is this machismo gotta go get some tail attitude it's gross it's stupid it's destructive to women and (laughs) men alike i don't like those themes none of the themes presented to me in this movie were likable i didn't like like the characters i didn't really like their interactions with louisa i thought like they're very predatory a lot of the times even though she was very much in a power position the whole time it felt like they were being very like competitive well i mean they were being very competitive over her affection and i don't like like the fact that she like i hate the whole scene where she's like not not scene with the series where she has to like settle like she fucks the first guy and then feels like she has to fuck the second guy i guess to like put him on an even keel i don't mm-hmm. it just doesn't make it's just it's just it's themes that are seen just kind of gross okay so let me ask you this. In our society, like real human society, sure. devoid of movies and art, is sex a specter that has kind of like entrenched itself as a mysterious and like only almost like omnipresent like presence to you? Or not maybe not for you personally, but like do you see that in society? Mm. Do you see like oh. young children grappling with like sexual themes and imagery and vice versa like adults grappling with like Yeah, of course. Sex is like is it dirty? Is it acceptable? Is it like you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, like I just don't understand any of that. Like I don't, okay. I don't okay. get why that's a, even like an uh, like a discussion. Like that to me, that's the same discussion as like is shitting on the ground at Kmart. Like is that acceptable <laughs> to do? It's like well, no, we don't shit on the ground at Kmart, but like we go do that at home. So let's go do sex at home and shut the fuck up about it. Like, you know, like, I don't, like, if, if you make a movie about sh- uh, any other biological process, I just, I would, it would be, like, considered, like, a Seth Rogen era, like, to style movie, like, Sausage Party style, where it's just shit and piss jokes rampant, and we consider uh-huh. those trashy movies, but we make, like, some artsy film about guys jizzing in pools, and all of a sudden, <laughs> like, we've got to give it all these accolades because of the taboo that we put around sex, and that taboo, to me, is pointless and like just not beneficial to any to the species or to anyone and it just kind of creates more gender divides and i mean we're not really talking about the movie at this point which isn't really fair well no so i wanted to dovetail that into like so the problems that it seems like you're expressing are problems that are like societal ones right like ones that like you have an issue with the way that society not only consumes or like talks about sex but the way that art depicts it right So this film to me though, it like doesn't, it doesn't have a overbearing sense of trying to tell me anything about sex. It's more for me like a naturalistic unfolding of sexual maturity and sexual immaturity. In the film that we just reviewed in Licorice Pizza, there's this arcing of like a young man reaching out in time almost and like this older woman reaching back 
And this movie does something very similar to me, but yeah. it just does it in a very less like couth way. It's not as fancy or finessed or stylish. You can't do that. You can't do Licorice Pizza in this style because then it would definitely oh, yeah. get even more oh, hate yeah, yeah, yeah. than it would. It deserves or that doesn't deserve. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I, but I get. I, I definitely understand what you what you're trying to say. Like that's the thing yeah. is, I'm not ignorant to. This is, I have the same issue with a lot of re- things that are like highly regarded, like bands like Swans and like like people like things that are regarded highly amongst the quote unquote elite of that group, and I just don't buy that, so I don't give a fuck. Like I hate not saying I don't give a fuck because it's so edgy, but like I don't <laughs> I don't buy into that. Like if I like something, I like it, and if I don't, I don't. And regardless of what anyone and a larger group of people thinks about it it's just totally subjective it's totally just their group opinion about it so this movie like I like the themes and the concepts that are being presented I think they're interesting I just feel like it's saturated with other things and it's not like a I'm not like a prude I don't think that sex shouldn't be shown or anything like that it's this is purely like kind of like a personal issue. And that's why I kind of tend to move away from movies like this and why I was kind of hesitant to even talk about this film in general, because it touches on themes that I don't really connect with at all. Like I, you know, I don't understand or connect with any of the themes in this movie. Like I get them, like I get them on like a English degree level if you were to like give me the script and be like, tell me the themes, I could like put brackets and like tell you what like. But as far as like empathizing with any of the characters or wanting something to happen or wanting them to be successful in their endeavors, I just didn't care. It emphasized parts of just machismo male culture that's toxic here, but even more so back in that time in Mexico. And, you know, I think, like, the most move, moved I felt was like, the end of the movie. I mean, spoilers, I guess. When like they, they, t- they say they meet back together and they talk about how, like, Luisa died of cancer. Like, that made me actually, like, really sad. Like, that, I was like, wow. Like, this woman was the, like, one kind of, not person I latched onto, but just, like, I don't know, character that was dealing with themes other than, like, sexual maturity, I guess. So that was like the one character I had on to la- like latch on to, and like then she's like, "Oh, she had passed." It was very unceremonious her passing, and so it was just like, "Oh fuck!" Like that was kind of the one bummer. So yeah, I definitely felt emotions that this movie wants you to feel. I just felt like it was very clamored with this these themes that I don't really resonate with or have any emotional attachment to. Got it. So that's my spiel. Now I can. You guys heard me rant for a really long time just because I'm not going to talk probably for a really long time now. So go ahead, Jesse. Uh, so, <laughs> all right. Let's, uh, let's do something. <laughs> what are we, what are we doing? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can respond to that, but Je- I feel like Jesse, you haven't even, yeah, you haven't have even you chimed in yet. Yeah. Cool. I'm just listening. I was just letting Jeff rant. Um, <laughs> Why is it a well, rant? I just we were Alex was asking no, questions no, and I was I mean, answering like, them. Yeah, I'm just letting you guys do your thing. Alex has uh, much more formed thoughts about this, and I thought that him sort of like exploring, uh, guiding you through your thoughts would be better than me doing it because I like I just saw this movie for the first time yesterday. You know, when did you first see it, Alex? Oh, I I saw it like definitely after it 
it came out. I didn't see it in 2001, but I saw it when I was like about 15 years old. Yeah, so not long after. Yeah, maybe like a couple years later. Yeah, like maybe 2005. Yeah. Oh yeah, I haven't even said what I think about this movie. It's all about this, yeah. It's all just the inference <laughs> you had. Well, I I actually didn't like it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. Oh, (laughs) fuck. You're throwing me for a loop this morning. Jesus. I legitimately was like, I was legitimately like happy for a moment there. Oh, I'm sorry. I was trolling. Oh, man. I was Um, ready to tie myself to the post. No. Okay. So, so first of all, I did not want to watch this movie at all. Yeah. I had zero (laughs) desire. And I think it had to do with the tagline on IMDb, the summary, in Mexico, Two teenage boys and an attractive older woman embark on a road trip and learn a thing or two about life, friendship, sex, and each other. And I was like, go fuck yourself, Lifetime. I had the similar reaction to Jeff, but I knew, I knew like down to my bone marrow though, because I know it's Alfonso Cuaron. I know that like this is a universally regarded movie among not just audiences, but like critics. It's a critical darling. Is and you know it's just Quaron, and Quaron is in that category for me as someone like like Paul Thomas Anderson, like we were talking about last time. Where this man, you know, it's gonna be good. You just do. Um, I didn't have the reaction that you had to Gravity, I guess. But mm-hmm. and I haven't seen all his movies. I'm not as big a fan of him as as Paul Thomas Anderson, but like. I just knew it would be good, and I knew that once I gave it the time, it would be. And it did have to surmount some things for me, um, because this is not like a culture that I grew up in, for one. And it's the the wavelength that these kids are on is definitely a wavelength I was never really on. Of course, you go through your teenage years, you're chasing tail, doing your kind of thing. From In my world, it was like punk rock girls. But um, definitely not with that sort of like tone that they have as people. You know, I, I, I struggle to elucidate it better than seeing like that like machismo kind of thing. Like you guys know, you're listening to this podcast. There's no chance that I was ever one of these guys. <laughs> You know, they're just not a spindly fucking metal nerd. Um, but the movie transformed as it went along and became about... Okay, so this is this might sound as hacky as the tagline that I just read from IMDb, but oh. it, it becomes about, like, learning and loving and growing and also just this awkwardness. It's about friendship and figuring out who you are and being uncomfortable and like going through these experiences that form you and tellingly none of it is prescribed to you in a way that one of those lifetime movies would right this movie does not tell you how to feel there's no musical score overarching that like pushes you along drags you along with the movie i was talking to jeff before we started about coda which is a movie that i watched recently won the oscar and it was really good, but it is one of those movies. It's a movie where you know exactly where it's going to go. It does enough in in between the beginning and the end to like f- make you feel a little sense of danger, but you always feel safe. You know she's going to get there. You know she's going to get to music school. And the music tells you how to feel. The score tells you how to feel. This is none of that. This movie is raw. 
This movie is raw. You feel like you're in like the endorphins of a being, you know, as it as it's going through puberty. It's mm-hmm. wild. And yeah, the filmmaking, you can see the you can see Alfonso Cuarón starting to develop that auteur style. The camera had this really interesting agency to it where sometimes it would linger after somebody leaves a room and look out a window or it would just leave people in the middle of a conversation and go check out like what the cooks are doing in the next mm-hmm. room you know and in that way it's it's like an exploration of mexican culture as at the same time as being like i don't want to say coming of age drama but it's kind of like that and then you have this whole other thing going on with Louisa and her husband and like figuring out who she is and then that yeah that that thing at the end where you learn that she had cancer the whole time she's riddled with cancer and died like a month later it's like a punch in the gut so I did not identify with the characters the the two lead characters initially um I mean I don't identify with them at all really but I felt them you know and I felt the reality that they were going through, I felt that friendship and all of the tribulations that go through that. And because they are who they are, like the only way that they can, you know, figure out these things between each other is to say, I fucked your girlfriend, you know? Oh yeah, well I fucked your mom. You do mama tambien, you know? Um, so yeah, I thought it was, uh, spectacularly good. It had a lot to overcome for me because I don't watch these kind of movies. The the kind of movies I generally watch are, you know, you guys know me. It's like just weirder movies. I don't mm-hmm. generally watch like family dramas or like this kind of stuff. Not because they're not good. It's just not what I'm drawn to. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was sensational. Sensationally cool. good. All right. I love this. I love like both, honestly, both of your guys' readings. Like I'm like right on track with like my notes have like a, at least touched on a lot of these things. So to Jeff first, the movie for me didn't really come alive with the sex. It came alive where there's this very, this like very early scene where when Diego Luna's character goes to Gael Garcia Bernal's house, I don't know their names off the top of my head for some reason. Tenoc is one. Um, fuck, I don't remember. But the kid with the, the richer kid. Yes. He lifts the toilet seat with his shoe. And the narrator makes a note to point that out. And for me, when that like scene occurred, very subtle, you know, it's like this whole exploration of what it's like to be friends with someone who is in a totally different like material wealth class than you are. And like how you deal with the anxieties of wanting to be his equal, wanting to be cooler than him, but also being subservient to the culture in Mexico of like the disparity is huge. Like, and in private to know that your friend lifts your toilet seat with his shoe, not with his hand, because it's just too disgusting to think of touching anything in your home is like that. That's what like started pulling at me when with the thematic elements. And then to touch on what you guys said at the end. So that frenetic hormonal endorphin energy that like I was in the throes of when I first saw this film, that's what spoke to me at first. Cause I related with these two characters, like, so much there were these little tenants and little weird agreements and unspoken like rules between my male friends and I and it was this weird energy that we would always try and define but never were really able to and it led to moments of like lashing out and like 
hurting one another or like betraying one another. However, at the end of the film, when they've both gone to school and they have their traditional day jobs and they have their suits on and everything, and the speaking between them is so solemn and sober, not just because of the subject matter, but because they don't even feel like they know each other anymore. It like mimics the way that life felt for me during these progressions where it was like, when I was 15, dude, the crush I had or like the betrayal of one of my male friends was like earth moving and it was like the most present thing in my life. And then when you're in your early 20s, mid 20s and life starts to lose its frenetic energy and urgency and like feeling almost, you're left with just this like soulless meeting in a coffee shop that just is like, I don't know, that, that scene just like sucks all of that frenetic energy out of me and it's like, this is what maturing is. This is what life is like. You're going to feel like these huge moments of time are going to be so profound and deep. And then you're going to realize one day that it's just going to be like gone. And so they do that in the filmmaking, you know, with like the chickens on the side of the road that like years ago were there and died. And yeah, I don't know. That's really what the core and energy of the film is to me. Whereas, I don't know, the sexual stuff, I feel like it's really explicit and it's very like vigorating at first and I don't know it was like that for me at least that like weird sexual tension of being a young 15 year old kid and thinking like do I try and play up the Johnny Bravo like I'm a player <laughs> type thing or do I try and play up like no I'm a little more sensitive like I don't I don't know this movie plays it out perfectly for me I, I just yeah I mean I get you I totally like I said, I, I'm not ignorant to what this movie is trying to say. This is all kind of just like my own weird, like, I don't know, just like mental hangups that I have. Not like, it's not, I, I don't know, it's, hard, it's so hard to explain. Like this, this is why I generally don't talk about movies like this because it's, 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 it's a, it's a struggle to understand what about it is frustrating for me. Like, I really don't know exactly, like, what, like, I didn't grow up re relating to this type of person, because I always knew I was just, like, a fat, unattractive loser, <laughs> and, like, that was made very clear to me very early, so it was just like, okay, well, we're not going to participate in this tailgating activity at all, like, it, I, like, I, like, so basically, I just wrote that off entirely, and so that just... So I had no connection to that element of the story. And I do understand, like, there's a lot of great discussion about class. There's a lot of great discussion about, like, this kind of tenuous ties between everyone's relationships. There's just a lot of, like, I'm cheating on you. I'm leaving you. A lot of, like, telenovela-style uh, relationship drama. Which is okay. Except just with two people but, explaining but, but, it to each other. And, yeah. and it is, but it's so back and forth. Like, it's like a battle. She's constantly having these calls with her husband and leaving these just... I mean, those moments in the movies, those messages and those conversations were so gripping. And, and those were the real moments to me. Like this shattering of and a whole world that you once thought was going to be your everything. Like, this person that you've tied everything into and all of this energy and time, and you realize, like, oh, well, all of that was a waste of time. Like, you could feel that. And then it's almost like you want to watch the movie again, knowing she has cancer, 
Because I was going to say, that transforms that whole thing. Because then her performance changes entirely. Because now it's like a ticking clock. Like, now she's realizing, like, oh, wow, I don't have much time left, and I've wasted mo- much, much of it with this person. So these are the elements, like, I picked up on and I resonated with. But the what, what I felt was a, a, a grasp of the story it was just a, a lot of elements that I just kind of didn't feel like I cared about. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, well, on the topic of her, you can, and I didn't think about this till right now, but the elements of those phone conversations, she's helping him move on. She's trying to help him move on, knowing that she's going to die. It does lend uh, an amazing texture to her character. But there is another point here that I wanted to linger on for a moment, and that was the culture theme. And there was a little moment, there are a few little moments in this film where I got the same kind of feeling that I got in City of God for some reason. Oh, yeah. And I oh, think yeah. it's it's not because it's like hyper-violent, obviously, but it's not only just the raw human emotion. It's like a nerve laid bare in different ways. But in terms of the way that poverty and affluence interact in the culture, um, obviously it's to a lesser degree here in than in city of god city of god that's like the whole like that's the whole banana that's what everyone's mm-hmm. chasing here it's a little yeah. more in the background but that that thing you said alex about using his shoe to lift up the toilet seat is amazing and it speaks so much to it and there are little things like that throughout the film that just it just felt this is a very naturalistic movie right there's there is a style to it there's a filmmaking mm-hmm. style and there's a voice here. And like I said, there are those moments where the camera has this really interesting agency to it that almost feels like there's another person in the room, but but not a person, just another voice. It's another voice in the room, which is always yeah. cool when a filmmaker does that. Yeah, the character um, the camera's like a silent character almost. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah, like halfway. I don't, I don't know exactly. Like it has know how almost to like an intelli- The camera has an intelligence it of its own. It definitely has an intelligence of its own. But that cultural element, I think this movie is quietly about Mexico as much as it is about anything else. I guess that's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say. So I was going to just say, I think that it touches on the things you were speaking of, Jeff, when it comes to like toxic masculinity and how it's bad for both men and women. And I feel like this film does, because it's so naturalistic and it's like not like trying to necessarily sway you in one direction or the other, it shows the like fatalistic nature of toxic masculinity and machismo within what Jesse was saying, this like subset context of Mexico specifically. Like the machismo has created corruption and richness that have abounds to the point where poor people are just like, it's like bandit shit. This is like Robin Hood shit. You know, it's like King coming by on his horse and just scraping by and taking everything he can. And it's like, there's something interesting in the way that it shows that like their relationship breaks down as friends because of their toxic masculinity and their like obsession with this macho sex, their relationship at one point with Louisa, she gets out of the car and is like, fuck both of you. Like you guys are just fucking immature assholes. I feel Animals. like it's almost, yeah, I feel like <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I feel like this movie almost endorses your side or your view of things, Jeff, 
even though it's it's like so cool that it that you didn't like it, but it almost feels like the person who made the film agrees with everything you're saying. Well, yeah, like and I think that it it speaks to Jesse's point about it being shown just so naturally. Like, no, I I just I, the response to that is like. I agree with what you're saying. Like, I don't think that anything that's depicted in this film is in any way Coron like trying to be like 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 what am I trying to say? Like, Ooh, look to at these cool, sexy boys. Yes, like, trying Hell to put yeah. a, 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 high, a highlight or a spotlight on these characters. Oh yeah, this is badass. They're, they're smoking weed. Yeah, like saying that they're good guys or like, this is a good way to be. Like that, that's obvious. This guy, like, he's way too elevated of a director to do that kind of thing so i get that like none of the everything and i've acknowledged this like twice before like everything that i have a problem with this movie is my inability to understand certain avenues of human emotion and this is one of those avenues for me so inherently when you said you wanted to watch this movie i went "Uh uh-oh because (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. That's it. If you look at like the range of human emotion, as many pipes that are flowing, and and they're flowing with different color liquids. Some of those pipes for me are turned off, and that those themes are some as are ones that are turned off for me, and I have no connection with. I don't care about. It's not, and so sometimes that if that compounds, it can disconnect me from the movie. Like, kind of like the Matrix. It can like kind of forcibly remove me from the movie to where I have to now, instead of sitting and being entertained by something that is entertainment, I now have to kind of work while watching the movie to find themes that to try to like latch back onto because I want to like the film. And so it's like, it, it turns into something that's entertaining and now becomes kind of work. And that's No, I like that that's description of like your your process of not being able, like the clogged pipes and everything. See, I'm going to say, I'm going to say for now, they're clogged and they're not turned off. And hopefully with films like this, I can, we, we got to lube you up, Jeff. Unclog Jeff's pipes. It's not about that. It's, <laughs> it's that when watching her relationship fall apart, yeah, I'm on board. That's something I understand. I watched my parents' relationship fall apart for 21 years. Like, I just, I get that. But then when you go into, like, chasing tail and being young boys, it's like, I didn't have that life. See, I think it transcends that, though. I think it transcends it. Like, I, I think I'm sort of in between you guys in terms of that kind of thing. Like, we've we've explored. Um, but I think it transcends that and just becomes about I don't know it becomes about broader things and it's hard to say exactly what besides like those things that you know people say or like okay this is the the tagline right life has a way of teaching us life has its way of confusing us life has its way of changing us life has its way of astonishing us hurting us curing us and inspiring us and it is like i, I mean that that does th- that's the tagline for the movie right and it does have that kind of lifetime feel but the movie did all that and it like did all that in like this really deep way. Like I felt all those things. I felt like I, I was in there. It's not that I particularly felt confused or anything like that, but I felt like I was in the juices of that with these people. It's like I was yes. breathing the pheromones of this movie, you know? Yes. And whether that, whether that had to do with sex or just the, like sex is just a tool to communicate 
things like desire and confusion and like brotherhood and like learning it's just like for me sex wasn't the like the the big pie in the sky thing here it was just a tool to explore right to explore mm-hmm. all these different facets of what it is to be a young man figuring out who you are and i feel like i failed to explain myself because it's not a pie in the sky thing it's not an but it is it is for them right i'm not i'm not framing this about you i'm saying like for them it's like oh sex but then it becomes not about that you know it's just the framing device that it's the only way that they know how to frame it in their brains right it's the only way because it's because it is the pie in the sky for them all they want is sex like that's the the tool that teaches them like whatever you go for in life things are gonna get hard they're gonna confuse you it's just part of the deal like whether that's music or like writing or if it's sex like you're gonna learn about life through doing things and especially doing things with other people and you get older like and so it was just sex for them you know what i mean does that translate uh, yeah, I get it. <laughs> it just, but when you take, it, I don't know. I, it's hard to describe something to someone when you fundamentally don't understand the differences in the brain patterns. I guess, like, like if you, t- like, I understand that, but without any connection to those specific themes, for them to be a vessel for other themes, the movie becomes fragmented and its themes mm. start to fall apart and its layers start to fall apart. Because you're following a thread of this now leads to this that opens up into all these new themes. For me, it's like I'm stuck at the at the at the gate because it, I have a block on like just I don't understand. It's not even a block. I just don't get it. Like I don't understand. Well, it. well, what do you think, Alex? It's so frustrating. <laughs> I think no, no. I mean, I get that. Like, so not to get too serious or like make it about like a trigger warning of abuse or anything like that, but. I could see a child or someone who had a certain upbringing watch this film and be like, well, going to the beach on a road trip with my friend was like never an option like that. Like I, I never could even imagine doing something as social as that or socially, you know, like um, extroverted as that with my friends. So I get that that aspect to it. However, I don't know, like when it comes to film just for me. I can like mold my brain and identity at least as a viewer of the film and just be like, okay, this is like the world I live in. But to speak to the moments of breathing in the pheromones and like really being in the movie to tie it to Quaron and his technique, the, and this touches on the sex aspect. So the scene where Louisa initially comes on to them, they're in the car and they're having a discussion and the, camera's in the trunk of the car and it like turns around so you're facing through the rear window of like their little station wagon and it's like they're having this conversation about fucking and you are stuck inside of this little car right and then they go into the car to have sex and the camera turns back around and like you see them from the shot of the seat and they're having sex the first time and you see fucking next to like the palm tree or whatever, just like, you know, being frustrated like a young man is. He doesn't know if it's jealousy. He doesn't want to admit that he's attracted to Louisa. And even more so, he doesn't want to admit that he wants to have sex with her more than his friend and that his friend beat her to it, him to it. But then when she has sex with him to like make it even, you know, the even keel thing you were talking about, 
the shot comes out of the car and you see them having sex through the window as if you were standing outside of the car. And it does this thing where you feel, as a young man, you feel like excluded from the sanctimonious act of sex. And it's like this crazy thing that your whole life has been put on this pedestal and you see your friend like fucking just like getting it and you're like mm. it it you don't know if it's the lack of sex or if it's the rigor of male competition that is really like ruffling your feathers and for me I related to that just because I went through shit like that and this movie just it just it like described it like perfectly like if Mandy was made for Jesse this movie was made for me it does go all the way to the nerve with the filmmaking as well. It's perfectly represented in the technique with which he like gives you a scene, right? Yeah. By lingering outside of the car for that and drawing back to I don't know whichever kid it was. Yeah. You see him there like he he's like he's like a frustrated 5-year-old who didn't get the candy he wanted, you know. He's like trying to climb the tree <laughs> real quick and fumbles yeah, yeah, like yeah. gives up and then he sits down. Like, whereas a kid would just, like, I don't know, punch punch the dirt. He just, like, picks up a cigarette because that's what you do. Because that's, mm-hmm. that's cool when you're 18. It's just, like, constantly smoking. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The filmmaking is fantastic, man. I think, like, watching it again, and I de- will definitely watch it again, will be super interesting because I'll be able to pick those things out more, you know? Once you know what a movie's doing it's much easier to focus on the filmmaking in round two, right? Yeah, the yeah, technical definitely. elements. So I'm in with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought it was cool as well that this is like totally not apropos of anything, but that kid, he has a poster of Che Guevara in his room and then later he would uh, play Che Guevara in the Motorcycle Diaries, which is a really Great good movie. movie as well. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I, I almost recommended that one instead of this. So there were three movies that I had for this pick. And it was Itumama Tambien, Motorcycle Diaries. And then I had Stand By Me, which is also one of my all-time favorite I movies. haven't seen that, man. I still have not seen that. It's like the same thematic like development almost as like it's a young... I don't think that anyone else in American literature writes young male friendships better than Stephen King. And I'm talking mm. about heterosexual, just bro-like friendships. Stephen King is, like, spot on. So, I don't know. This this film for me is just, like, it's just a, such a defining artistic representation of what my, like, upbringing was like that I was like, damn, Quaron, like, you're, like, speaking to me w- with this movie. Dude, we have, like, all the colors of the rainbow here. You're, you're in it. Jeff's, like, totally out. I'm, like, in the middle. Yeah, because uh, I am I able it. to like if a movie's well done, I can put myself into the mindset of fucking anything. You yeah, know? fucking give me aliens. You know, give me like the wildest. Give me rich people. You know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I can pretty much do the same, except for this one thing. Do you know that yeah, Diego yes. Luna wore a prosthetic yeah, penis the... in this movie? Oh, he did. Yeah, because to appear circumcised in real life, Diego Luna is not circumcised. If you didn't know, now you know. <laughs> um, there are a couple reviews of this movie that I really liked and I want to I want to bring up. Um, this one's from Slate David Edelstein. It's the way Quaron demonstrates how a simple teen comedy can suddenly blossom into a study of sexual mores, a Mexican political allegory, and a song of lamentation. 
and still be breezy and funny and sexy as hell. So nice. I like that one, especially because it brings in the Mexican political allegory element, which mm -hmm. is in the background. And it made me, that made me think about it. Right. I like these reviews that make me actually like examine the film as opposed to like, give me a sweet little tagline. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, uh, it's sexy as hell. The end of it kind of does, but and a song of lamentation. I like that. It is <laughs> like that. It's a yeah, song yeah. because it's like, these kids are just bursting with this feeling and it's, it's so overpowering that it overrules intellectuality to end, like yeah. any degree, right? It, they're just pure raw. Like I fucked your mom. <laughs> you yeah. know what? Fuck you. I fucked your mom. These um, kids are like playing hard rock, like guitars and like going all punk rock. And she's just in the background doing her like cello swan song thing. Yeah. It's like now at the end you find out. And then when you rewatch the movie, you're like, you are dying. Like you're dying and you're going to be dead in like two months. And your relationship is crumbled into like this pile of nothing. And it's just like, it makes it really sad. But the way that he blends the two storylines together, there's so much energy. And then when you find out, it's like a gut punch almost. It's just like, whoa, you hit me with this like leveler, which makes the movie just like, if it didn't have that ending, Jeff would be spot on, right? Like it's just like a puberty kind of phrase, like energetic coming of age sex pot if movie. it just ends with them in a threesome on the beach like oh that's the last Jesus scene Lord. and they're like yeah. oh my <laughs> get that Modelo pussy time. <laughs> <laughs> but the ending really rounds it out for me yeah and he really uh i think the the phrase song of lamentation right is is a is a really good identifier for this because it has that fullness and that vivacity but in the word song but then lamentation is just, it's there for her, but it's also for them because it's about these last moments of kind of innocence in a way. It's weird mm -hmm. to say that because it's an innocence that's, you know, rooted in jerking off together into pools. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the first shot of this movie, too, by the way, <laughs> it's just, oh, it's just full, straight sex. Full yeah. butt, full butt, yeah. full penetration. I was like, well, here we go. Yeah. Um, we got to start keeping a cum counter, by the way, for our, for our movies we do. Because am I right in saying this is the third one? We had Green Knight with the cum on the sash. We had Willem Dafoe uh, in Coming Blood, at least, in Antichrist. Uh-huh. Was there another? I don't know. Was there in Boogie Nights? I don't know. If you think of it, let me know. We'll, we'll keep a counter. Yeah. Um... <laughs> This I like this one as well. This is from New York Daily, Jamie Bernard. It's like watching an American teen sex comedy through a glass darkly. Oh, damn. Yeah, that's a good okay. one. And then you got Richard, or <laughs> Richard Ebert, fucking <laughs> Roger Ebert. <laughs> Ebert, Alex's favorite boy, yeah. says uh, one of those movies where after that summer, nothing would be same again, yet it redefines nothing. So, that's a cool one. Do you guys have awards in mind for this film? Mm. Yeah, I think we've uh, we've pretty much gone through everything to go through in this movie, except the awards. Yeah. So, let's start off. Who gets the Phil Hoffman Award for Best Performance? Louisa. You going Louisa? Yeah, I yeah. feel like it has to be her. As much energy as the the two actors, who are also great friends in real life, so it, like, it displays itself on screen and they all both have 
successful careers on their own. Um, they're yeah, both some Diego of my favorite Luna actors. Especially, right? Oh, yeah, He's definitely. big time now. But, yeah, Luisa is just... She plays the um, the communist like rebel maid in Pan's Labyrinth that helps Ophelia. Same actress, so... She also bangs a guy in a fish costume in Shape of Water. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. She's, she's a pretty good friends with Del Toro, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I I got I got to echo. It was it's a it's tough because even if you don't like their characters, that's tremendous acting by these two young men. And yeah, they were going to choose a different actor, but uh because they were such good friends, one of them recommended the other. I can't remember which, and it, it worked out. But Luisa just has this intense sensitivity about her and these moments where she's like oh god what have i done yeah and being able to sort of operate on these different wavelengths where she's getting over the divorce and i don't know guiding these guys but also at the same time like kind of enraptured with their little world and then thinking that they're assholes like all this gamut of emotion she was she was she was really great Mm -hmm. so she gets our Phil Hoffman Award. What do we do? What do we call it when it's a when it's a lady that gets it? Maybe we should modify it. Maybe we could think about that. Hmm. Think about one of our favorite actors. There's a great. Uh, I mean, I know who I would put. Judy Dench. No. The Mildred Pierce Award. The Mildred. Oh my God. The Betty Davis Award. I mean, Meryl Streep is one that comes to mind, right? But like, I feel like Streep that's too one. vanilla. Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to cogitate on that one. Olivia Coleman. Her name was oh, Olivia. oh, Olivia dude, Coleman. Olivia Coleman Olivia, is pretty Olivia fucking Coleman stellar. Be my... I can't even think of who that is. Detective so Miller. I don't, I don't know if we could do that one. <laughs> we'll talk about it later. The I Drink Your Milkshake Award for most memorable scene. Where are we going here? I mean, I mean, I want to go with that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, go for it. Most memorable. Yeah, most memorable for whatever reason. Pool. <laughs> the pool <laughs> jerking off in the pool. Probably. It's one I. It's one I'll think about if you tell me to. If you're like, hey, that movie. This is that's the scene I'll think about. So, mm. the most striking one for me, at least, was like. So every time I watch this film, I get to the end. I still really don't know what to make of the little like homoerotic homosexual flare that comes up at the end. You know, where they kiss each other while they're getting blown by Louisa. So that has to be like the most memorable scene for me, just because. It's the one that I, it changes the complexion of the film for me. And it steers me away from like it being just the generic, like heterosexual bro movie. That's a whole other discussion. Yeah. I just, actually, yeah. that we, that we failed. No, that's fine. Um, I like that because it does, it does change the complexion and it adds a really interesting dimension to their whole dynamic throughout the whole film where you, I don't know, it, it does question the homoerotic tension that may or may not exist within these sort of bro kind of people in life because that's not acceptable. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's not. Yeah. It's really not. It's more acceptable these days, but especially, dude, in more machismo parts of the world, bro, if you display any any of that, you're a fucking fairy, right? And maybe that's okay, you but you die. are in that category, right? Like, you're yeah. a queen. Like yeah. they talk about their one guy who's a queen, like... Spain, Italy, Mexico. I don't I don't know exactly what the cultural mores are with these things, but I know that especially like before the 2020s, <laughs> you know, 
it's it's dangerous. Oh, one hundred. You know, you can be uh, totally ostracized. So, to know that they had that in the background informs their characters in an interesting way as well. Like, I'm sure that they never intellectualized the fact that they're attracted to each other, but in that circumstance, to have that come out just lends another layer of scent to the pheromone that is this movie. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I think, I don't know. After just seeing it yesterday, I think the one that stands out to me the most is the bar scene towards the end where it's like this 10-minute shot of them just like kind of celebrating the fact that they're back together. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's because of the scene itself or because I just loved that shot and I loved that they got like they did that whole take. You know, I'm sure it took a few tries. I don't know if they actually got drunk or what. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, don't, I have to. I've been to restaurants like about that in more. Mexico. I love that scene. It's a fucking amazing. Yeah, who wants the worm? Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Out of the missed call. <laughs> yeah, I think if you talk to me after the span of time, it will definitely change. Like, it's definitely not the most memorable scene. It's just one that pops to mind, I guess, right now that I wanted to highlight because mm-hmm. it was really good. Yeah, so I'll do it with that. So this is a good one. What gets our Roller Girl Award for most uncomfortable scene? This is one we could do that with, right? Yeah. It's got to be, for me, it's got to be that that the end scene where I was like, oh, shit, they're kissing now. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I'm uncomfortable with, like, homoeroticism. I fucking love, like, a lot of movies that deal with that. What's the one with Jake Gyllenhaal where he's a cowboy? What's that called? Brokeback Mountain. Brokeback Mountain. That movie's beautiful. Yeah. Um, but I did not see it coming. Mm. You know? No, I know. I did not see it coming. Yeah. You have one, Jeff? Is it the pool scene as well? <laughs> <The whole movie. laughs> no, movie. I mean, honestly, <laughs> uncomfortable. It's like hard to describe like what you take as uncomfortable or impact. Like sometimes memorable can mean impactful or just something that you will remember about the movie. So for me, uncomfortable would probably be the end when like the reveal of her condition and I it it made the movie take on a whole different tone so quickly that I felt genuinely uncomfortable in the moment. I I did not. I mean, I I felt sad and there was other emotions too, but I don't know. It was such a a hard shift in perspective immediately. Like a lot of other like. I don't know, just moments in the movie either made more sense or took on a whole different meaning or weight to them now that you have this person that has this ticking clock, as I mentioned before, like the conversations with her husband. Like I said, like she's like a saint. Like she's almost like a, yeah. like, a, like, a, like, a like a heavenly-like figure. And they go to a beach, like the beach of heaven, you know, and it's... Or, yeah, it's, something, it's called something like that, like uh, as far as the English translation. And, mouth uh, of heaven. Yeah, the mouth, mouth of, of heaven, heaven thank yeah. you. Yeah, that's what it is. And so it's just, uh, I don't know, there's there's definitely a kind of a religious aspect to her figure to me. Like, not religious, but just heavenly and saint-like. Mm-hmm. You're right in calling her a saint. And yeah. so, like, she's, like, she's like spending the last few moments she has, like, helping other people. And that was so, like, to hear that, like, like that all of that only came from knowing that she was sick. And so that was, like, a genuinely strange and uncomfortable moment. So probably that. Yeah, I should say the idea of these awards is not to give an award. It's to promote discussion, right? Yeah. So I, I really like that. I really like that reading, definitely. 
yeah i mean awards are fun but it's 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 an interesting way to frame it to to maybe pull in things that we hadn't thought about during the course of the discussion um what do you think alex it's changed a lot like what you said with the milkshake award you know it will change a lot for you guys if you ever decide to take up this film again um at like a different point in life but for me it's the it's the moment right before the final conversation between the two main characters where we see them go on this fishing trip and have that night you know where they're drinking and dancing and they walk back in the morning hung over to like their campsite that's been destroyed by all the little like javelinas and like the pigs that are running around and there's this hangover that I was speaking to that like this hangover from like youth and energy that it just kind of dwindles away as you get older and it it it's this weird like moment of knowing that Louisa is going to stay there and she's enjoying these things but the trip is over right like it, there's this weird like I don't know I don't even know how to describe it it's like an afterglow that is like this thing when you would have visitors come over when you had family over and then they're leaving or it's like this moment when something really bad has happened to you and you have this week of like fun stuff to do and you're going through it but you like this thing is just ever present and it's like drawing you in as time progresses and it's just really this dying energy aspect of the film to me this like this deadening of youth i don't know it just gets me every single time seeing louisa and them like gear up on the on the beach and get her ready to go out on this fishing trip but knowing that it's like the last day is just i don't know it's just so strange to me the movie shifts like its tone really well after that too you know and they're like she decided to stay and they, and they drove back and i'm like that makes me just uncomfortable for some reason, but not uncomfortable in a bad way. It's like this weird liminal transient space where I'm like, well, shit, is this really how the, like, this is the story. It dwindles away. It doesn't unravel. It doesn't explode. It just kind of, you know, flutters like away. That's why I said her, her ending was so unceremonious. Oh, it was. It's yeah. Like, yeah. She's just like, they just leave her there and then she's just gone. Yeah. Like she just dies a month later. It's like, oh, it's a little fleeting flower. Yeah. Can you imagine like having that moment though, where it's like you spent like a few months with this or like a few weeks with this person and then offhand a year later at a random conversation, you just hear like, Oh, she died of cancer. Like, I don't know. All of a sudden your mind goes back to those few weeks when you were driving with your friend to the mouth of heaven. And it's like, I don't know. It just totally, the story just hits me in so many different ways. Yeah, well, we have I have a couple other awards we could do, but I think I'm going to leave it there because that was I think that's a beautiful note to end on instead of the frozen banana award for most comedic scene. <laughs> so uh, yeah, thank you for that, Alex. That's a great capstone. <laughs> it's a great capstone. Yeah, we have the gamut here: gamut of emotion, gamut of uh, thoughts between us. Um, thanks for listening this week, everybody. Real weirdos talking about Itumama Tambien. And we will be back next week for our one-year anniversary. Holy shit. So we're starting season two, baby, which yeah. means nothing yeah, except boy. that we're just going to market the occasion. We're starting season two. It'll be season two on Spotify for whatever that's worth. And uh, we're marking the occasion by doing the tragedy of Macbeth because the, the 2015 Macbeth was the very first episode we did of the, the Real Weirdos. 
We did a couple as one more take, but um, oh. we switched over, and uh, and it's the one year anniversary. So I thought that would be really cool, and it'll come out on the one year anniversary. So Macbeth, Macbeth, marking the occasion. Don't miss it. Oh God! <laughs> All right, real weirdos, we're out of here. Mexican sex Ugh. coming in pools. Uh, coming out with us at Real Weirdos Pod on Twitter. Hang out in the comments. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll catch y'all in the next one. Enjoy your croissants. You've already done croissants. También mi huevos. Now our podcast is done. And we have to run. We know it is sad, but we had so much fun. Don't be bereft, Jesse, Alex, and Jeff. We'll be back real soon. The Real Weirdos. We talk about movies for way too goddamn long.